Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Monday, December 5th, and this is your FT News Briefing. The EU and the US are at odds over green subsidies, and OPEC is taking a wait-and-see approach to oil production. Plus, the FT's Katie Martin explains what the end of cheap money means for investors. You're not going to find that the markets are a rising tide that just raise all boats. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. The EU is trying to keep up with U.S. green subsidies. The bloc's trying to counteract the competitive effects of the U.S.'s nearly $370 billion climate package, called the Inflation Reduction Act. Congress passed it earlier this year, and it's causing some tension between the U.S. and the EU. The FT's Henry Foy joins me to talk more about it. Hi, Henry. Hey, Mark. Okay, so why does the EU have a beef with the Inflation Reduction Act, or the IRA for short? So what the EU countries uh, are saying is, look, you guys have pulled together this fantastic package. We, we agree with the, with the intention. We also want to promote green energy and, and, and climate-friendly technologies. However, by making it so vociferously by american and, and, and by only allowing uh, purely American, American-based companies to access these subsidies, you're, you're in fact breaking WTO, World Trade Organization, rules, it's massively subsidizing your own economy, and this is the kick in the teeth, encouraging our companies, European companies, to effectively move to the US, build factories there to benefit from these tax cuts and subsidies. And how will the EU be more competitive? So so really, for the last few weeks, European leaders have been running around complaining about this and sort of demanding that the European Commission, which is the executive uh, of the EU, do something. Yesterday, Ursula von der Leyen, the president of the European Commission, effectively came out and said what she would do. It really amounts to rolling out the EU's own fiscal firepower and saying, these are the weapons we have. Do you really want to go into a trade war? She's saying we could uh, adjust and, and streamline. These are the words she uses, the, the state aid rules. You should read that as we could loosen them, which in effect would allow governments to plow money into private businesses if they like. And in effect, you could have something that looks like a trade war a subsidy war between the EU and the US. Von der Leyen was keen to say, look, that's not what we want. We don't want a trade war. But, uh, you know, if it quacks like a duck and, and looks like a duck, it's, it's probably a duck. All right. These two ducks are meeting today. The EU and US officials are meeting today. What are they going to talk about? Well, well, that's right. And, and and the EU have maintained and consistently said, look, we would quite like just to, to talk this out. The EU would like to diplomatically work this out. So what the Europeans want to do is use today's Trade and Technology Council to raise these issues and effectively bring the IRA dispute into a wider context of trade and, and technology relations with the US and, and areas where Washington and Brussels will work closely. What the Americans want to do is say, fine, we can talk a little bit about it, but the TTC is for other issues. We've set up this special task force to discuss the IRA, effectively kicking it into the long grass a little bit and separating it from the wider issue of transatlantic relations. Let's see what comes out of the meetings today. But I, I have a feeling that this isn't going to be sorted out uh, through talking. And actually, you are going to see large amounts of subsidies on both sides of the Atlantic chasing technology in, in climate change and green energy. Henry Foy is the FT's European diplomatic correspondent. Thank you, Henry. Cheers, Mark. Mark. 
OPEC Plus met yesterday, and the oil cartel decided not to make any immediate changes to the group's production targets. The group is waiting to see how a new oil embargo could affect Russia, which is one of the leaders of the cartel. FT Energy correspondent Tom Wilson has more on OPEC. By the middle of last week, it became clear to them that they were simply unable to take a long-term view on the oil market because there was still so much uncertainty, specifically around the G7 oil price cap. So today is the first day of the EU sanctions on exports of Russian crude. And we now know that the G7 has decided to set a price cap of $60 a barrel for importers such as Russia and China if they want to continue to access European shipping services and therefore get around that sanctions, they can do so. But OPEC Plus still doesn't really know how that's all going to play out. Is Russia going to play ball with the price cap and allow exports to countries like China and India under that price cap mechanism? Is the price cap mechanism going to work? Are insurers going to be willing to take Russian crude on their vessels? So there's a huge number of uncertainties at this point in time uh, around the oil market. And I think with that in mind, OPEC Plus took the decision. It's too soon for us to make this call. Let's wait and see. And Tom, how might the oil market react to this move? It all depends on how many of the Russian barrels that used to go via sea freight into Europe and are now been banned, how many of those can be reshuffled and redistributed to other parts of the world, either using the price cap mechanism or through Russia using its dark fleet. If a lot of those barrels get reshuffled, then we shouldn't see a major impact in price. If, however, Russia decides that it doesn't want to play ball in this game and it's actually willing to cut production, and I should note this is something that Russian Deputy Prime Minister Alexander Novak said yesterday was that Russia was not willing to play ball with the price gap and would be prepared to cut its own production if necessary. So if Russia does that and suddenly we see a million barrels a day of Russian production coming off the market, then we'll see a big price reaction to the upside. And now, Tom, when does OPEC meet next? So the next official meeting is in June. But another thing that OPEC Plus said was that the Joint Monitoring Committee would meet in two months' time. Uh, And the Joint Monitoring Committee would have the power to call a ministerial meeting if it sees fit. So if there's been a major shift in the market, uh, one that OPEC Plus needs to respond to, then they'll call a meeting and that would most likely happen at the start of February. Tom Wilson is an energy correspondent for the FT. The era of cheap money is over. Central banks around the world are raising interest rates, and it's suddenly a lot more expensive to borrow. Markets have reacted accordingly. The S&P 500 is down nearly 20% on the year, and long-term U.S. government bonds staged the biggest drop since 1788. So what are investors doing now that money is more expensive? DFT's markets editor Katie Martin looked into this exact question, and she joins me now. Hey, Katie. Hey, how are you doing? So this era of cheap money. Yeah, uh, it was I, great. It was great. <laughs> it was, I mean, everybody loved it. I, I loved my stimulus checks. Like, it was a good time for all. It peaked during COVID, but it's really been around since the 2008 financial crisis. Uh, so people have gotten comfortable with this idea of cheap money. Mm. How are investors viewing this next high interest rate period that we're entering then? I found some real frustration and confusion and exasperation. So I talked to a lot of fund managers, and as I have done all year, and 
the tone of these conversations has shifted into something where I feel like I'm almost a kind of therapist. Like, (laughs) people are saying to me, look, you know, basically, I, I thought I understood inflation. I thought I understood how markets work. I thought I understood how to divvy up my portfolio between different types of assets. And everything keeps blowing up at me all the time. And people are just out of ideas really at this point. They've had an absolutely terrible year and the the mood is really quite downbeat. So one of the people that you spoke to for this piece actually argued that investors now have to be more disciplined, which is a good thing. Can you unpack that argument a little bit? Yeah, there's a certain um, chunk of the investment community that's never been comfortable with For example, tech stocks from unprofitable tech companies just flying to the moon and all this kind of hubris and enthusiasm around certain pockets of the market. Investors are going to be much more discerning about where they put money to work. And I think the other thing that a lot of investors are saying is, look, this whole process where money costs something and investors are more choosy means that there will be more winners and losers. You're not going to find that the markets are a rising tide that just raise all boats. So investors that know what they're doing and are good at spotting winners, in theory, should have a better run over the next, you know, 12 months or five years or or however long it takes. But there's no disputing that it's a very difficult environment for everybody because there's just not much of a safety net if stuff goes wrong. But isn't that also good for the economy, too, that, we, that we're betting on businesses that actually have some substance to them, rather than like zombie companies that just live off cheap debt? Big picture, yes, it probably is worth a slightly more Darwinist um, approach to economics and to markets. The, the difficult thing about that is that it implies lower employment and... A lot of people have jobs in what someone might, you know, perhaps unkindly call a zombie company and that job's important to them. And it's kind of difficult to say, well, you know, my super rational brain and my super disciplined investment style tells me that you shouldn't have a job anymore. It's a difficult argument to to make. So there will be winners and losers out of this process for sure. But I think... There probably will be a lot less investor cash that is burnt on speculative projects that never really get off the ground. Katie Martin is the FT's markets editor. Thank you, Katie. Pleasure. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. 
Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.